Hello and welcome to another episode of CISO Tradecraft, the podcast that provides you with the information, knowledge, and wisdom to be a more effective cybersecurity leader. My name is G. Mark Hardy, and today we're going to offer tips and tools for briefing your executive leadership team, including the four major topics that you need to cover. As always, please follow us on LinkedIn and make sure you subscribe so you can always get the latest updates. Now imagine you've been in your role as a chief information security officer for a while, and it's now time to perform your annual briefing to the executive leadership team. What should you talk about? How do you give high-level strategic presentations in a way that provides value to executives like the board, the CEO, the CIO, the chief financial officer, and the chief legal officer? Several years ago, I attended a CISO summit where the keynote speaker was Kim Jones, and he was advantive at the time and was considered at the time, and I think still is considered today, to be one of the most effective CISOs out there. And when he gave his presentation, when he was done, someone asked him, I said, how much time do you spend with your board? Expecting that, hey, if he's a world-class CISO, he probably gets 30 minutes, 40, an hour or more with him. He said, about six minutes a year. And I was kind of surprised by that. He's like, and he elaborated. He said, our board isn't worried about our cybersecurity states. They know that everything's running well, that we're on target, we're on budget, we're meeting our requirements, that our risk is low, and it never really surfaces as an issue. Well, about a year and a half ago, I was speaking to somebody who had a cybersecurity uh, program, and I mentioned that to him, and he said, that had to have been a while ago. And I said, yeah, it was. Why? He said, that's not true today. Boards want to hear about cybersecurity now every single meeting. It is huge. It's number one on most of their agendas. And so your past experience, the past story of, yeah, if it's going well, they don't care, is probably no longer true. So I had to modify the importance of that story, but I still have a lot of respect for what Mr. Jones was able to do. Now, let's first talk about how do you make somebody satisfied? In this case, your board of directors or your executives. Frederick Hertzberg, who lived between 1923 and 2000, introduced motivator hygiene theory, which was somewhat like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but focused more on work, not life goals in general. And what a hygiene factor basically means is that people will be dissatisfied if something is not there, but they won't be motivated if that thing is there. For example, toilet paper in the employee bathroom. If it's there, you take it for granted, no big deal. But boy, if it's missing, everybody's going to be upset about it. And it's probably going to get replaced with that thin, one-ply, cheap stuff, which is why everybody wants the key to the executive washroom. But more concisely with regard to how this is said, satisfaction and dissatisfaction are not opposites. The opposite of satisfaction is no satisfaction. The opposite of dissatisfaction is no dissatisfaction. Because according to Hertzberg, the factors that lead to job satisfaction are, quote, separate and distinct from those that lead to job dissatisfaction. Now, we're talking about briefings here, but job satisfaction is also similar, and it's a good proxy for what we want to talk about. For example, if you have a hostile work environment, giving someone a promotion will not make him or her satisfied. So what makes someone satisfied or dissatisfied? Factors for satisfaction include achievement, recognition, the work itself, responsibility, 
advancement, growth. All sound pretty good, don't they? Factors for dissatisfaction would include company policies, supervision, relationship with supervisors and peers, work conditions, salary, status, security. Not cybersecurity, but job security. So what will make a board member satisfied? Today, cybersecurity is a board-level concern. And in the past, IT was really only an issue if something didn't work right. Basically, a hygiene problem. Now, if we learn from Hertzberg, we may not be able to make the board satisfied with the state of IT security, but we can try to ensure that they are not dissatisfied. Now, hopefully you have some context for what might otherwise be considered splitting hairs on terminology. Essentially, we want our executive audience to not think negatively of your IT security program and how you lead it. Remember, boards of directors generally come from non-IT backgrounds. According to the 2021 U.S. Spencer Stewart Board Index, of the nearly 500 independent directors who joined the S&P 500 boards in 2021, less than 4% have experience leading cybersecurity, IT, software engineering, or data analytics teams. And that 4% is mostly confined to tech-centric companies or businesses facing regulatory scrutiny. So there's essentially a mismatch between a board member's background and a CISO's background. And that extends to your choice of language and terminology as well. Never go geeky with your executives, unless you have the rare situation where your entire leadership team are all IT savvy. Otherwise, they will tune you out if you just talk about bits and bytes and packets and statistics. Instead, communicate by telling stories. Show how other companies in similar industries have encountered security issues and what they did about them, either successfully or unsuccessfully. Show how your cybersecurity initiatives and efforts reduce multiple forms of risk. Financial risk, reputational risk, regulatory risk, legal risk, operational risk, and strategic risk. You can show the threat landscape has changed. Nation states and organized crime have supplanted lone hackers and disgruntled employees as a major threats. Regulatory environment changes such as the California Consumer Privacy Act, CCPA, and ultimately the follow-on legislation from 49 other states will impact strategic business planning. Show your board how to avoid running afoul of these emerging requirements. And of course, there's the ever-present threat of ransomware, which has evolved from denial of access attacks to loss of customer and internal data confidentiality attacks. That threat requires top-level policy and response plan in advance of an incident. It's too late to be making things up as you go along if something hits the fan. Now, before we go into the four major topics executives need to hear, after all, that's what I promised at the beginning of the show, let's ask, why are we briefing executives on our cyber program? Any company that's publicly traded in the U.S. falls under the scope of the Security and Exchange Commission, or SEC. The SEC has published cybersecurity guidance that offers suggestions for investment companies and investment advisors. They recommend investment firms, quote, create a strategy that is designed to prevent, detect, and respond to cybersecurity threats. The creation of a security strategy and education of employees on the strategy is at the core of what CISOs do. So a translation of the SEC's guidance is to hire a CISO 
have that individual create and execute a cybersecurity strategy and make sure that everybody knows what's going on in the security world. In fact, the SEC's quote above calls out three of the five functions of the NIST cybersecurity framework, which are one, identify, two, protect or prevent, three, detect, four, respond, and five, recover. Our second question is, how often should we be updating the executive leadership team? We know why we have to do it, but how often should we do it? Since the SEC requires companies to disclose risks in their 10K statements on a yearly basis, then you should be briefing cyber updates to the executive leadership team on at least an annual basis. We recommend quarterly or semi-annual updates to give more touch points on important topics. You can draw parallels to quarterly financial statements. Let's say the risk committee, chaired by the CEO, has agreed to hear the status of the cyber program twice a year. What should we brief the executive leadership team? Well, let's look at what's required by law. The state of New York requires financial services organizations to follow New York Department of Financial Services, NYDFS, regulations. And Section 500.04 provides additional information about CISOs. It states, quote, each covered entity shall designate a qualified individual responsible for overseeing and implementing the covered entity's cybersecurity program and enforcing its cybersecurity policy. And for purposes of this part, Chief Information Security Officer, or CISO. The regulations also state, the CISO of each covered entity shall report in writing at least annually to the covered entity's board of directors or equivalent governing body. If no such board of directors or equivalent governing body exists, such report shall be timely presented to a senior officer of the covered entity responsible for the covered entity cybersecurity program. The CISO shall report on the covered entity cybersecurity program and material cybersecurity risks. That sounds like a pretty straightforward directive to me. Now, these types of requirements aren't confined to Wall Street. The Bermuda Monetary Authority requires insurance companies to follow their cyber risk management code of conduct. And it states that, quote, the board of directors and senior management team must have oversight of cyber risks. The board of directors must approve a cyber risk policy document at least on an annual basis. So both the state of New York and the Bermuda Monetary Authority want CISOs to provide risk management and perform at least yearly reporting on material cybersecurity risks. Many more regulatory bodies do this. They're just offered here as examples. If you're going to function effectively as a leader, you should find some way to create a win-win from most any situation. Now you likely have a regulatory requirement to brief your board or leadership on a periodic basis. That's fine. But have you ever asked yourself, what do I want in return? Hmm. What you want is for your board to set the security culture from the top. Boards hold senior leadership, think C-level executives, accountable. And you want the board to ensure the CEO makes cybersecurity a priority for the organization. ISO 27001 has a nice tool, the Information Security Management System, ISMS Policy Statement, which is senior leadership's declaration of the importance of cybersecurity within the organization. Now, one example I found is that of GS1 India, a standards organization that helps Indian industry align with global best practices. And their ISMS policy statement begins with, quote, 
The management of GS1 India recognizes the importance of developing and implementing an information security management system, ISMS, and considers security of information and related assets as fundamental for the successful business operation. Therefore, GS1 India is committed towards securing the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of information for the day-to-day business operations. If you can get a formal declaration of support from the top, your job is going to be a whole lot better. Otherwise, you might just end up being the chief scapegoat officer. Now let's define the four things that an executive leadership team should hear from the security leader that will convey the message that you have a handle on your scope of authority and are executing your responsibilities correctly. Those four focuses are, one, cyber risks and responses, two, cyber metrics, three, a cyber roadmap that identifies high-profile programs and projects, four, cybersecurity maturity assessment. So let's dig in. With respect to number one, cyber risks and responses, create a slide for executives that shows the top cyber risks. Example may include things like ransomware, business email compromise, phishing attacks, supply chain attacks, third-party compromise, and data privacy issues. As a practical matter when briefing cyber risks, never just share a risk and then walk away. Go on to the next slide. Executives hate that. Be sure to talk about what you are doing as a CISO to mitigate this risk. Usually in risk meetings, executives look for a few things about any risk. Number one, what is it? Number two, what's the likelihood of it to occur? Number three, what's the impact if it does occur? Number four, what are we doing about it? Number five, how much is that going to cost to fix? However, this isn't a risk approval meeting where we need to go into that level of detail. So let's keep our cyber risk reporting at an executive level by identifying our top three to five material risks and showing our cyber responses to each risk. For example, if you believe phishing is your number one cyber risk, then highlight it and talk about how you've created a phishing education program that lowers click rates and increases phishing reporting to the cyber incident response team. When phishing attacks are reported, your team has a service level agreement or an SLA to respond to phishing reports within four hours to minimize any potential harm. You can also highlight that your organization also has email protection tools in place, such as Proofpoint, that stopped thousands of phishing attacks during the last quarter. In summary, you're acknowledging that your company has cyber risks, which can harm the organization. You are protecting the organization the best you can, given the resources available to your team. If somebody you're briefing doesn't like your four-hour SLA, then you might offer up that you could decrease that response time to a one-hour SLA if you had one additional headcount. And this creates a business decision to give you that potential additional headcount, which is a great discussion to have. Now, once you've talked about the top three to five risks your organization faces, we recommend talking about key metrics to measure the cyber program, number two. You could call these the metrics that matter. Essentially, they're the tactical metrics that you measure month to month because they show risks that could result in major cyber attacks. Now, our favorite place for metrics that matter is the OWASP Threat and Safeguard Matrix, or TASM, kind of pronounced like TASM, like the Tasmanian devil. And please note that we have a link to it in our show notes. Please, please read about the OWASP Threat and Safeguard Matrix. It's a short five-minute read, and you'll really be glad that you did. 
Now, what does a threat and safeguard matrix, or TASM, teach us about cybermetrics? It says that all good metrics show a status, a trend, and a goal. The status shows where we are right now. Trends show if the project, program, or company is getting better or worse. And goals show the end state so we know when we're done and if we should be happy with our current progress. The OWASP Threat and Safeguard Matrix categorizes then the cybermetrics into four major areas, technology, people, process, and environment. Technology-based metrics show things like how fast we are patching devices and how well our servers and laptops are configured. Think about it. If you have servers that are internet-facing, which are not patched, and it's just a matter of time until bad actors will cause your company and you a really bad day. This isn't something you can wait upon. So your organization needs to continually track progress and burn these numbers down as quickly as possible. So let's do something about it. Start by looking at your company's security policy that defines the patch timelines for high and critical vulnerabilities. It might say something such as we require critical vulnerabilities to be patched in 15 days and high vulnerabilities to be patched in 30 days. From that security policy, you create a service level agreement for the IT department to meet. So you measure the percentage of your servers that have zero high and critical vulnerabilities greater than that 15 or 30 day window. Now, yeah, it's going to look terrible at the beginning when your IT department shows that only 30% of its servers are patched according to the enterprise service level agreements. But transparency brings reform. And when the CIO sees that these metrics are routinely being briefed to the CEO and the executive leadership team, then things will change. Most CIOs will say, not on my watch, and will usually lead that IT team into making the changes needed to improve patching. Another metric category we see from the OWASP TASM is people. When we think about cyber threats to people, we usually think about phishing. So during your monthly phishing exercises, record your click rates and your reporting rates. Since each phishing exercise is different, you should benchmark your organization against other organizations who took the same phishing exercise. You can say that we had a 5% click-through compared to our industry vertical that scored 7%. And if you're doing better than your peers, then you can show that you're following best practices and meeting the legal term of due care. These metrics might lower your cyber insurance costs, and these metrics could also be extremely helpful if your company were sued as a result of a data breach that began with a successful phishing attack. So measure them each month and make good progress. The third metric category of TASM is process-based metrics. Here you can monitor things like your third-party risks by looking at your processes that track how many of your third parties pass a review have active ISO 27001 or SOC 2 type 2 reports on file and have recently passed penetration tests. Another process you might look at is what percentage of your critical applications performed adequately during both disaster recover exercises and business continuity plan exercises. These metrics are helpful during Sarbanes-Oxley attestations and other regulatory reviews. And the fourth and last metric category defined by the OWASP TASM is environment-based metrics. This refers to things outside of your organization that you don't control. And even though you don't control them, they can have a substantial impact on your organization. You can think of countries or states passing new cyber or data, data privacy laws, regulatories asking for new information and compliance activities, and 
malicious actors and fraudsters taking interest in your company, all as examples of environment-based factors. Now, please don't confuse environmental factors with saving the earth. This is not the context you are looking for. Environment metrics could be used to show how many legitimate phishing attacks your organization stopped when somebody reported a phishing attack. And the incident response team confirmed that it wasn't a false positive. Note that these are actual phishing attacks, not phishing exercises. And this is an important metric because it shows that despite email protection tools in place, things got past it. Now, if you notice like a 500% increase in confirmed phishing attacks, you might need to buy additional tooling to interdict them. And you've got the documentation to support it. Another metric you might look at is how many reported help desk tickets your organization responded to that were caused by a cyber incident. These types of metrics can help inform management just how big the malicious actor threat is and can be used by you to justify additional resource requirements. Well, that's a good overview on the cyber metrics that you can look at each month, but we still have two more categories to go over in our cyber update. Remember, if you want to learn more on cyber metrics, please look at the OWASP threat and safeguard matrix. The third broad category of slides to include in your board deck is a cyber roadmap that identifies high-profile programs and projects. Executives want to see the big picture on how you are evolving the program. So show them a roadmap that says, over the next three years, here's the big picture. For example, in 2022, we we're focusing on improving ransomware defenses by enhancing our backup and data recovery process. We'll also improve our ability to prevent malware execution in our environment by adding new Windows group policies. In 2023, we'll shift our focus toward improving our website security. We'll be launching a bug bounty program that allows smart and ethical hackers to find vulnerabilities in our websites before malicious actors do. We'll be upgrading our web app firewall after we finish our three-year contract with our current vendor. We'll also be adding a botnet protection tool to our internet-facing websites, given the recent attacks that we've been experiencing. In 2024, we'll then shift our focus to improving our software development process. We'll be purchasing a tool to gamify secure software development amongst developers, and this should lower the cost of vulnerability management. We'll also be building custom courses in-house that teach developers our company's requirements to build, test, and retire applications correctly. When you present this type of cyber roadmap, you might show a single slide with a Gantt chart view of when high-profile projects occur with the executive summary of the points previously mentioned. The last major category is a cyber maturity assessment. Essentially, you want something that independently measures the effectiveness of the entire cyber program. For example, many organizations use the NIST cybersecurity framework, ISO 27001, the FFIEC Cyber Assessment Tool, or High Trust to benchmark the program. Consider hiring an independent auditing company to measure your organization's security maturity. You'll get something that says, here are the top 15 domains of cybersecurity, and today on a scale of 1 to 5, your organization measures between a 2 and 4 on most of the domains. Now, most companies in your same industry benchmark are at level 3 compliance, so you're currently underperforming versus your peers in, let's say, 4 domains. You can take that independent assessment and say, we really want to improve all level two scoring opportunities to be at least a three. And this could be something you show in a spider graph or a radar chart. You can show the top five activities needed to improve these measurements and provide timelines for when those will be fixed. This shows the executive leadership team that security is never perfect. 
It's going to show how you're going to benchmark against your peers and provides them with the same confidence that they would get from an auditor to confirm that you're working effectively. So let's summarize. We talked about Hertzberg's hygiene factors, things that aren't perceived as satisfactory when present, but are dissatisfactory when absent. Remember, satisfaction and dissatisfaction are not opposites. The opposite of dissatisfaction is no dissatisfaction. And that helps us understand that when briefing management, we'll not be able to delight them with the overall state of our cybersecurity program. But we can cause them not to worry about it. Focus on risk reduction and how your program is helping your organization work toward that goal. We talked about why we need to brief management and how often. Different regulations require executive teams to articulate a cybersecurity strategy and empower the appropriate individuals to execute it. In addition, most rules require at least annual security briefings. You may want to strive for more frequent meetings to keep your leadership team well informed. Your goal is to have your board set the security culture from the top and hold C-level executives accountable for funding and maintaining cybersecurity initiatives. We covered the four things you should include in your executive briefings. Cyber risks and responses, cyber metrics, a cyber roadmap that identifies high-profile programs and projects, and a cyber maturity assessment. By addressing risk in multiple forms, showing that you can measure and track your progress toward your security goals, that you have a solid plan for the next couple of years, and that you can demonstrate your maturity relative to peer companies, you'll go a long way toward keeping your board happy, or more precisely, not unhappy. Lastly, don't forget to look up at the OWASP TASM model. It's a really useful tool for mapping threat categories to the NIST cybersecurity framework and showing where you may have gaps in your program, which would be represented by blank cells in the matrix. The link to that is in our show notes. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed today's episode on updating the executive leadership team on the cyber program and our introduction of the OWASP TASM model. We thank you again for listening to us at CISO Tradecraft. Please leave us a review, hopefully five stars, if you enjoyed this podcast, and share us with your peers on LinkedIn. We'd love to help others with their cyber tradecraft. Thank you again. Until the next time, stay safe.